Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Yard men in England and officers of Paris to police. 
finally came to justice when he bucked up against two officers in our bunker details. But I am getting ahead of the story. It is best for Frederick Lindsley to tell you the details. Midwinter, 1927. Across the chill Princeton campus, the light in the windows throws swaths of gold on the sparkling white carpet of newly fallen snow. Music is in the air, and the clear laughter of young women tinkles across the quadrangle. It is prom time. From Vassar, from Smith, from Wellesley, and from Park Avenue have come the most beautiful girls in the East. And from Harvard and Yale and Williams have come the coon-coated boys who are fortunate enough to have friends among the Princeton juniors. Among the visitors from other colleges is George Gaber, a Harvard law student, who with his Princeton host, Charlie Wallace, is standing in a secluded part of the ballroom watching the canine tactics of the stag line. The two young men seem to be hugely enjoying their own private little joke. <laughs> it's a perfect disguise, George. There isn't a person I've introduced you to that doesn't believe you're really a German baron. Never having seen a German baron, how would they know? Of course, that Rimmer's monocle held out, no doubt. You'd go a long way to Germany before you'd find a real baron that war one. Yes, I suppose so. But for Princeton purposes, your monocle, your accent, and your big title of baron, Alfred von Krupp, passes perfectly. You know, as a matter of fact, Charlie, there aren't any von Krupp. Really? Sure. The Krupps, as you know, were famous munitions makers for years and years. Finally, the head of the family died, and there were no male descent. So Wilhelm II arranged a marriage for a favor of his to the woman who was the head of the House of Krupp. And instead of her taking his name, he took her. Well, I'll be done. I never knew that. <laughs> Neither does anyone else, I guess. <laughs> the Americans are woefully ignorant of the Almanac de Goethe. The Almanac de Goethe? What's that? Oh, that's the... Well, you might say the who's who of European nobility. Yeah? Well, if there is such a thing, we'd better not go too far with that little joke. Somebody may check up on you. Who? You never even heard of the Albanac. And if you didn't, you suppose anyone else here has? Well, maybe not. Uh, surely, I'll raise you. I can pass as the Baron Alfred von Krupp any place in this country and get away with it. Oh, no, you uh, couldn't. Sure I could. I can pull this guy to New York and Newport and Miami, any place, and get away with it. I'll bet you couldn't. I know I can. But somebody would be sure to check upon you. Charlie, as I said before, if you'll pardon me... You Americans are dumb. Yeah, but just the same. If I can successfully pass as the Baron von Krupp for six months, I tell you what I'll do. I'll be your valet for the next six months. Oh, that's too easy, George. I know you can. But if I get by with it, you'll be my valet for six months. Okay, George. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> The success of George Gaber's impersonation is attested by the amount of newspaper space the gullible press gives him during 1927. He is fated by society wherever it congregates. He makes friends with people in high places. Henry Ford is so taken with the engaging young fellow that he makes him a present of an automobile. George Gaber, alias the Baron von Krupp, is living off the fat of the land and anticipating the services of Charlie as his valet for six months, when at a house party on an estate in Delaware, his hostess introduces him to a country. 
Baron, I'd like to present the Count von Schwarzendorf. Count, this is the Baron von Kraut. It's right, Monsieur. Sie können zu lernen. You're excellent. It is vielleicht better to speak in English. Ich glaube nicht, dass unser Gastgeber Deutsch versteht. Ja, it's better. I beg your pardon, madame. It is so charming to meet a fellow countryman who naturally falls into the mother's heart. Oh, of course. And I'm sure you two will have much in common. You see, Baron, the Count is in America inspecting our Delaware munitions plant for his government. And Count, of course, you know the Baron's family. The Von Krupps who made all those guns in the war. The Von Krupps? Oh, yes, of course, you know. They made the large Emmas or some gun like that. You know, the one the bomb passed. Oh, 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 yes. You come from the Von Krupps of Essen, then, Baron? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, uh, very interesting, Baron. It has been a pleasure to meet you. Uh, Madame, you said something about the garden. Oh, oh, yes. Come this way, Count. I want you to see my dahlias. Auf Wiedersehen, Baron. Madame, what do you know about this fellow? This why, Baron? Yes. why, he has the best of recommendations. What do you mean? He is an imposter. Count, how dare you? He's my guest. I am sorry, Madame, to be so brusque, but this fellow is no Baron. He cannot be. Why not? Because in all the nobility of Europe, there is no foreign crop. Great heavens, are you sure? Positive, madame. Then maybe he's come here to rob me. And he's stolen my jewels. We must do something. We must catch him. Please, quiet. Allow me to handle this matter. There must be no excitement nor disturbance to alarm the guest. I shall call the police and then take the baron for a walk in the garden. When the police arrive, we will transfer him to their automobile. And then you may announce to your guests that the baron has suddenly been called away. And so, you are relieved of a possibly dangerous man, and your face is safe, and no one divides us. Oh, Count, you think of everything. Thus, ignominiously, George Gaber's first impersonation ends in the Newcastle County Workhouse, where he is sentenced to serve nine months. However, after he has been incarcerated three months, immigration authorities deport him as an undesirable alien. Ejected from one country after another, he finally is refused permission to enter his native Hungary on the grounds of having taken out first citizen papers in America. He is no longer entitled to Hungarian citizenship. But this resourceful man without a country manages to procure a birth certificate of a former Harvard classmate. And presenting it to the American consul, with a story that he lost his passport, manages to get another issued to him in the name of his friend. His wager with Charlie Wallace has taught Gaber how easy it is to live without effort. So, equipped with his falsified passport, he journeys to London, where he prepares to get by on a really royal scale. The telephone is his only ally. Embassy of the United States. I wish you speak to the ambassador, please. Who's calling? W.C. Widener of Philadelphia. Just a moment, please. I'm Mr. Widener of Philadelphia calling, sir. Widener of Philadelphia? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sir, I'll talk to him. Hello, Mr. Widener. Hello, Mr. Huffman. I've never had the pleasure of making your acquaintance. I presume you know who I am. I certainly have heard of the man who gave that beautiful library to Harvard. Well, that was nothing. Huh. 
I didn't know you were in town, sir. I hope I shall have the pleasure of entertaining you at the embassy. Well, unfortunately, Mr. Houghton, I'm only in London for a few hours. I leave for Paris tonight. But there is something. What is that, sir? Well, my nephew, South Q, of Richmond, Virginia, is arriving in England sometime tonight. If you could... I'll please... certainly do everything I can to make his stay a pleasant one. I've taken the liberty of telling him to call you when he gets in. Excellent, Mr. Weiner. I'll look after him. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you, sir. Have a good trip. That evening, George Gaber registers at the Grosvenor Hotel as Task 2 and calls the ambassador once more. This is Mr. Houghton speaking. Oh, good evening, sir. Uh, this is Task 2. Oh, yes, Mr. Hill. Your uncle told me you'd be arriving. When did you get in? Oh, about an hour ago. Have a good trip. Excellent. Uh, where are you now? I'm staying at the Grosvenor. At the Grosvenor? <laughs> You must be my guest at the embassy. Oh, I couldn't think of it, Mr. Hart. But I insist. I promised your uncle I would look after you. Sir. No objection, young man. I'll call for you in half hour at your hotel. Very well, sir. I'll be expecting you. And so George Gaber, alias Tastu, becomes the guest of the ambassador to the court of St. James. For ten days he is fated, as members of the American colony and the elite of British nobility entertain him at garden parties, polo matches, banquets, and dances. Finally, tiring of England, he enters France by leaving the boat attired in the steward's white coat and carrying his own luggage. And within 24 hours, and by the same telephone technique, he is a guest of the American ambassador in Paris. When he leaves the French capital... He is armed with a warm letter of introduction from the ambassador. Disembarking at Halifax, for fear of another brush with immigration authorities in New York, he motors across the Canadian line to Vermont, stopping at Montpelier, where his letter from the ambassador gains him the hospitality of the governor. A trail of bad checks follows him west across the country, but never catches up with him. In Palo Alto, his ambassador letter gets him invited to the Hoover home for luncheon. The list of prominent people who have bunkered by this astonishing scapegoat during the next few months would read like a section of who's who. They include governors, university presidents, bankers, politicians, society matrons, army and navy officials. And from each, Gaber manages to wrangle a loan or obtain an endorsement on a bad check. Then he flies the coop without bidding his gullible friends farewell. His junket leads him once more to the West Coast, this time to San Diego, where, posing as task to Houghton, son of the ambassador to Great Britain, he is right royally entertained. Assist in the review of the police. On the strength of his unimpeachable credentials, and then becoming bored, pause for Los Angeles. The telephone is once more an important piece of his equipment. The manager of an exclusive Los Angeles club receives a call one afternoon. Hello. Is this the manager of whom I'm speaking? Yes. I'm Secretary for Mr. Tattoo House, the Solicitor General of the United States. Yes. I want to reserve a suite for Mr. House. An hour later, George calls the manager a second time. This is Louis B. Mayer speaking. Yes, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Mr. Tapsy Houghton, a very good friend of mine, will arrive in the club shortly. 
will consider it a personal favor if you'll take good care of him. We'll be pleased to, sir. Uh, tell him to get in touch with me as soon as he gets in. Yes, Mr. Mayor. Still another call comes to the club in the early evening. This is Mayor Porter speaking. Yes, Your Honor. You're expecting a Mr. Taftew Houghton? Yes, sir. He's reserved the suite. Ah, good, good. Please tell him I've arranged a banquet for him at the Jonathan Club. I will, sir. Ask him to call me as soon as he arrives. Yes, Your Honor. Phones. 
Always spoke of his deals with his broker and the president of one bank or the vice president of another or... Spent a lot of time at the phone, eh? Yeah. Where is the phone? Over there in that alcove. Mind if I take a look at it? No, go ahead. Uh, whose number is Gladstone 1551, Mr. Baldwin? I don't know. Why? It's written down here on the wall. Written on the wall? Well, if it's written on the wall, I pig did it. Mrs. Baldwin or I wouldn't think of writing on the wall. Well, let's play a little game and find out whose number this is. What are you going to do? Get some information from someone, I hope. Listen. Hello? Uh, Gladstone, uh, 1551? Yes. Uh, let me speak to Mr. Harlan, please. Mr. Harlan? You must have the wrong number. Is this Gladstone 1551? Yes, but there's no... Well, uh, Mr. Harmon must be there. He gave me that number. Well, there must be some mistake. This is Warren's residence. What is your address, please? Uh, possibly I am mistaken. This is 5755 Tuxedo Drive, but there's no Mr. Harmon here. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I must have the wrong number. Get anything? <laughs> yeah, the cinch. The kid that answered the phone told me all I wanted to know. Warren's residence. At 5755 Tuxedo Drive. All right, let's get out there right away. You Mr. Warren? I'm Jack Warren, Jr. What can I do for you? Are you acquainted with a man named Houghton? Oh, am I? I'll say I am. Why, are you a policeman? That's right, buddy. Well, I was wondering when you'd catch up with him. What do you mean? Well, come on in and sit down. I suppose you want to ask me questions about him. Yeah, we do. Well, I'd come on in. Sit down over there anywhere, on the Davenport. Smoke? Yeah, thanks. Well, what do you want to know? How long have you known Halton? Just a couple of weeks, and that's two weeks too long. You know what he did? No, but we want to. Well, he got me to go to my dad's bank and endorse a $100 traveler's check for him. The next day, they called up dad and told him the check was a stolen one. I'm not surprised. He's got quite a habit that way. Do you know where he is now? No, but he keeps calling me up and promising to meet me somewhere. But he never shows up. He's liable to call me any time. Good. We'll wait until he does, if you don't mind. Well, not at all. You know, I think there's something funny about the guy. Dad thought so from the first, and after he pulled that check business, I agreed with him. I can't understand, Taft. Why, just the other day he called me up and said he'd left something for me at the Richley Hotel. And I dropped by for it. It was a swell-fitted bag from Bullock's. A fitted bag from Bullock's, eh? Add Bullock's to the list of victims. Well, what do you mean? You don't think he stole it, do you? No, no, not this bird. He wouldn't do anything so crude. He just charged it, but he'll never pay for it. Oh, gee, I don't want the darn thing. If it's stolen property, I'll give it back to you. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's him now. If it is, stall him and give us a chance to hear his voice. Okay. Hello? Hello, Jack. This is Taft. Hello, Taft. Where have you been? Oh, I'm so sorry, Jack. I've been very busy. Tied up with the president of the bank all morning. Well, where are you now? Well, I'm at the hotel, but I'm leaving right away. I'm due down at Santa Monica for the polo game this very minute. Going to stop by. Well, uh, look, Taft, uh, why don't you stop by on your way out to the beach? i got something I want to ask your advice about. Well, I'll try to. Don't wait too long for me. I've got to go now. So long. Goodbye, Jeff. Hey, give me that phone. Operator. Operator. Place that call. This is 
police officer Williams, badge 238, speaking from Gladstone 1551. Just one moment, please. I will try to trace it for you. Now, look here, partner. You stay here with Jack in case this bird comes by, although I doubt if he will. Now get over to the place he's calling from just as soon as... Hello? Yes? The call came from the Richley Hotel. Oh, thank you. Richley Hotel, eh? I'm going right over there. In the meantime, partner, you call them and tell them to jail... In the meantime, partner, you call them and tell them to jail Mr. Houghton until I get there.
All right. I suppose we dispense with the formalities and get down to brass tacks or, <laughs> rather in this case, handcuffs. Never mind, Lieutenant. So, the game is up, eh, gentlemen? Well, is it worth it? I've certainly had one hell of a good time at your expense. <laughs> prisoner to federal authorities for prosecution on the charge of impersonating a federal officer. And for this violation of the law, he was sentenced to the federal prison at McNeil Island for two years. At the completion of that term, he was taken to New York, prosecuted for violation of the Passport Act, and sentenced to two more, more years in the federal penitentiary at Atlanta. While this term was served, he was deported to Hungary. And if he ever enters the United States again, he will face prosecution by the government for violation of the immigration laws. Thank you, Captain Wallace. When you buy Rio Grande cracked gasoline, remember... Although good gasoline is essential to the proper performance of your car, the life of your motor depends upon the oil that you use. You all know what petroleum jelly is. You know how thick it is when cold, but how thin and watery when hot. Most all oils contain this petroleum jelly because it is a costly process to remove it. It necessitates chilling the oil down to 60 degrees below zero. Sinclair oils are also de-waxed, removing the gummy properties in crude oil that clogs the spaces between the piston and cylinder walls. Now, you may buy either Sinclair Pennsylvania, made from Pennsylvania's highest-priced crude oil at 30 cents a quart, or Sinclair Oakline, made from mid-continent oldest crude oil at only 25 cents per quart. Remember, Sinclair Opaline is made from mid-continent crude oil which is much superior to our Western oil. Sold only in tamper-proof, extra-major cans at only 25 cents per quart at all Rio Grande stations. Welcome to police calling all cars, sending all cars, cancellation dash 40, regarding a bunco artist. The suspect is now in custody, and that's all. Rose and Christmas. 